But I want to start by asking the question that ought to be asked every Christmas, and it is this. What child is this? We made a song out of it. If it really is a question that all of us need to come to terms with, whether you've been a Christian for two days, 20 years, 50 years, come to every Christmas asking yourself, what child is this? Because every Christmas, we need a bigger, a more robust view of this child, for there is so much in Christmas for us to grasp, to believe, and to know in the core of our being. There is so much more wonder and awe to be had, but you have to search for it. You may not, for instance, you may find that reading the Bible, uh, if you read big long chapters of it, it's like raking the leaves. Yeah, you, your lawn does look good at the end, but when you dig down deep, you might just find that there might be gold or diamonds or great treasure buried under there. And when it comes to the Word of God and especially the character of Jesus, dig down deep. When we know the correct answer to the question, what child is this, then we can embrace and adore the child we read here as the true Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of heaven and earth, and the Savior who indeed redeems us from all of our sins. Because when we have this correct understanding, the correct grasp over the truth of these events, we can know the Redeemer, and through this belief, ourselves be redeemed before God. The reason I say this is because Jesus is not abstract. He's not an abstract person. He's not an idea. You don't just think about him and he just kind of materializes in the ethereal realms. He's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, as some believe him to be. You know, just keep Jesus hanging up on my rear-view mirror in a crucifix or rosary beads. He's not even a sentimental story that people love recounting every time you come to Christmas. He is the child-born Lord of all. And he either is Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. He is a flesh and blood man through whom we have redemption. So I've got three points I want to share with you guys. The first one, the birth of a Savior. Number two, the announcement of a Savior. And number three, meeting the Savior. So my first point, the birth of a Savior. We see in the beginning of Luke chapter 2, Mary required to go all the way to Bethlehem to give birth to this child under some pretty perilous uh, circumstances. We see, for instance, in Deuteronomy 19, that everything that occurs in a court of law has to be confirmed on the two or three witnesses, which is great because you can't just come before a judge and a judge hears the case and decides your fate without any evidence. Deuteronomy says well, there needs to be witnesses. People need to see it. There needs to be two or three independent lines of testimony. And God calls these group of shepherds to be his witnesses to the birth of his son, Jesus. Because... The question really is, did everything God promised would come true in this child, is, it, is anyone there to confirm it? Is anyone there to see it? God ensured that the uh, birth of his son would not be unnoticed. Because we often preach Jesus as unnoticed, don't we? In fact, that's probably kind of like the central theme of the Christmas story, isn't it? Mary comes to Bethlehem and there's no room for her. She has to go out in the stable there's no one there to welcome her. And the birth of Jesus goes unnoticed, but does it? Well, we start with this announcement that comes across the whole Roman Empire to be, they need to be registered. They need to be, there's a census that's being called. It's forced Joseph to leave Nazareth and come all the way down to Bethlehem, which is no small journey. And yet we know all of this happens to fulfill scripture, that the Christ must be born in Bethlehem. 
And so Mary and Joseph, they make their way down to Bethlehem and they find that in the chaos of the registration, all these people are traveling down to Bethlehem. And what happens when you have that? Well, we know what happens in the Christmas season if you decide to go on holidays. There's not much vacancy. And the first Christmas, there was not much vacancy because everyone was hurrying to get registered. And so there was no room in the inn. No one's willing to take them into their homes. You'd think you would have pity on this young lady. Here she is about to give birth and someone would say, Mary, come in, come and give birth in my house. But no one says it. The best they get is the stable, a place to give birth out of the elements. Now, when giving birth from my, me not personally, but from my wife and her two experiences with our two children, It's really important that the woman when she's giving birth needs to be in a place that's stress-free or else the whole whole thing can just stop happening. And that's really quite dangerous. And so Mary's in quite a predicament where the whole whole labor process could just abruptly end due to the stress and the situation that she's in. Yet here she is in the stable, full of horses and donkeys and beasts of burden. Not like in the nativity where it's like nice sheep and it looks all pretty and stuff. No, this was like packed in horses. Think about how many horses and mules and donkeys would, be, would have traveled bringing all these people into Bethlehem. There was maybe one stall they, they could get in or maybe the middle aisle where they bring the animals in. That was where she was going to give birth. Right where the troughs were, out, outside of the, where the stalls were. And so they clear a space, they get her into this and they get one of the feeding troughs, maybe dump out the water that's in it throw a whole bunch of straw in, and they go, here you go, Mary, when you give birth, here's where your newborn can go. This is, this is quite a situation. You know, we've, we've, we've already explored Mary in our series, hasn't we? Haven't we? We've already seen all the amazing things that she's had, she's seen and that she's gone through. And now when she finally comes to give birth, there's no fanfare, there's no chorus, there's nothing important. In fact, it's completely unnoticed. And it seems like God doesn't even make a way for them to give birth in a safe environment. But God does protect them. And here is this child entering into the world as the most important person to have ever lived with only a few horses and mules and donkeys to take note of the birth. Well, that's at least what it seems. We know when, like, during this time, when a king would give birth, well, the king wouldn't give birth, his wife would give birth, and there was the heir apparent to the throne, there would, a lot of people would be interested it's not, a, it's not a private birthing kind of experience uh, for the queen. And as soon as that baby comes forth and they say, it's a boy, immediately runners go out all across the kingdom. And those runners go from town to town to town and city and city and village and village. And they say, today has been born your future king, your heir. And this person will now rule when the king dies. That's normally what happens in a well-run country. It causes a significant amount of celebration. Normally, you would cease work. You wouldn't even work the next day. You would go out and you would celebrate. You would do all the things that would normally happen when your king would have a son. But where are the messages here? Where are the runners going from town to town to town? There are messengers. They're called angels. And you may not know this, but the word angel literally means messenger. So when a king would have a son and send out those runners, do you know what they were called? Angels. 
See, the word wasn't, didn't take this kind of religious word that it takes today. I often think, would we be better served if we translated in our Bibles instead of angel messenger? Because at least then we would get an understanding of the common use of that word. Because then you would actually understand what is happening here in the passage. God is sending out his messengers to announce the birth of the king, his son. That's my second point, the announcement of a savior. Let's read from verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel or messenger of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I can tell you right now that no king has ever had the announcement of his son look anything like this. This has never happened in the history of the world except for right now. This was the announcement of the Christ, the Messiah, the King who would inherit this entire world. He has entered into this world. And the angels declare these things to the shepherds, the arrival of their long-awaited Savior. They call it here great, uh, good news of great joy for all the people. And God wanted the nation to know that unnoticed during this tumultuous time of census, God had brought into the world the Savior. He wanted them to know. And who did he send? Shepherds. Now these shepherds, after they recovered from the fear of the situation, must have been thinking to themselves, why us? Why me? Why these shepherd men that are out there watching over their flock by night? Why did God choose us? You see, a shepherd wasn't necessarily the most respected of men. To the elite level of society, shepherds were kind of these wild, uneducated, wilderness people. You'd only see them on market days, and you kind of liked it when you only saw them on market days. Here in Australia, we might, you know, we can't really talk about tradies, because tradies, I think, I mean, people can correct me, but they're kind of respected members of our society, right? Whereas back then, they were not at all. The educated, the elite class, you don't associate with them. They do the menial labor. We do the hard work of thinking and coming up with stuff and telling people what to do. If you wanted to witness the birth of Christ, you know, if you wanted these witnesses, these two or three witnesses or however many to be compelling men, these men don't meet the worldly qualifications, do they? But we forget that God usually operates at the normal everyday level of society. We've already seen how God chose who? Mary, a woman of humble and lowly estate. That's what she refers to herself as. Joseph, a carpenter. And here, the Lord once again chooses average, ordinary people to carry out His tasks. And here they are entrusted with the job of being the witnesses of the birth of Christ. You might think the Magi, remember those wise men that came? You might think, oh yeah, they were witnesses too. No, they weren't. They didn't witness the birth. They come much later, up to two years later. These shepherds are the witnesses. They're the ones that God chooses. And he says, go, find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. This is the only clue these shepherds get. That this baby was born where? In the city of David. They doesn't tell him, go to Bethlehem. 
go and find. No, he says the city of David. And they know immediately because they're Jews, this must mean Bethlehem. And so they go. And where is this baby laid? In a manger. Just so we know what that word means. It means a trough, a feeding trough. That's where you feed your animals or you water your animals. And so they know, okay, Bethlehem, stable. And so they go there. And then these unnamed, unknown shepherds are stunned to be visited by this whole host of angels. And they declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, this is a monumentous occasion that we see happening here. It is not unnoticed. It is the event that forever shapes the rest of these men's lives. By the time that Luke interviews them as he's writing his gospel, they remember it like it was yesterday. Mary sees, Mary saw an angel. Remember, Zechariah saw an angel. But think about what these men saw. They didn't just see one angel. They saw the multitude of the heavenly hosts as their voices echoed across the countryside. And the news was traveling across heaven like lightning. And yet it was only directed at these few men. The reason that only few would receive this news is because the father was slowly revealing to Israel the identity of his son, Jesus. Even when Jesus shows up in his ministry, right? He's constantly saying, don't tell people about me. Don't go and reveal myself. He doesn't want to get all of that out in the open straight away. And it's the same with God. He's slowly revealing the identity of Jesus throughout Israel. The resurrection eventually would be that one public sign, the definitive proof that Jesus was who he said he was. And here right now, all of the faithful in heaven and a small handful of people here on earth were going to be witnesses to this great miracle of Jesus' birth. The invitation from the angels is to these shepherds, come and meet the Savior. And that's my third point, meeting the Savior, because the call is the same to us. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So the shepherds, they follow the directions of the angel. There's no ounce of doubt in their minds. They're like, we need to go and see what has happened. Just as Mary, you remember Mary, she accepted the message from the angel as fact. Remember Zechariah? Didn't quite go that way, did he? When the angel showed up to him, he doubted. But we see now in the story, Mary and the angels believing and going with haste and they find the baby lying in the manger, just as the angels have said. And in that moment, this little vulnerable baby, totally reliant on his mother, was born king of all. Joseph and Mary were likely quite underwhelmed by the birth of Jesus. They probably didn't know what to expect, but they probably weren't expecting what happened. I mean, Mary has put through a considerable amount of stress to find this, you know, place to give birth. Nothing out of the ordinary seemed to happen. Nothing that would indicate that something so huge like Christmas had just happened. And then the shepherds arrive. Early in the morning, they kind of just walk into the stable. What are you guys doing here? They come and they look at the baby. And they tell them exactly what has happened to them. We, we learn here that Mary 
treasures up all these things in our heart. For us Christians, we would do well to do the same. I mean, Christmas is one of those interesting seasons, isn't it? It happens every year. And those first few years of your life, Christmas is like the best thing ever. You look forward to it all year long. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years pass and Christmas starts to become a regular thing that loses its magic and loses that sense of wonder and awe. We would do well to treasure these things in our hearts. These are things that we read and we reread at our fingertips, at our fingertips right now, holding most of you in your hands, the Bible, are the words of God, pages of stories that are utterly wonderful. And to the Christian who has not grown cold, it is an amazing time of the year, isn't it? A time of thanksgiving, of wonder, awe, and appreciation that God did not leave us in that cold darkness, but He came down and He dwelt with us and He took on our sin. He didn't leave us in the dysfunction, but He brought peace to those, the angel said, to whom He is well pleased. He didn't let the world spiral out of control, but through His church, He is putting it back together. We've been called to this amazing kingdom of this child to treasure up all these events in our heart. And like the shepherds, we are called not just to treasure them, but come and meet the Savior. Come to Bethlehem. Come and adore Him. I mean, we live in the future of these events, don't we? Like a solid 2,000 years later, that's it's a decent amount of time. This little baby, he grew up. And the things he did and the things that he said and the miracles he performed are written for us in God's holy scriptures. The call of Christmas is not just to come and meet the newborn Christmas, but to come and meet the man this baby would grow up into. Unlike the shepherds, we don't have to wait 30 years to see all this baby will do. All we have to do is open the Gospels and we see Jesus for ourselves. He's tangible. You can touch Him. You can taste Him. You can feel Him. The call of Christmas is not to just be introduced to this baby, but to meet the King, to see Him for ourselves and to believe in Him. So resolve in your hearts today, Christian, to treasure up all these things that God teaches you. And with the angel, ascribe glory to God in the highest, not as lip service, but as your fundamental life's goal. Seek after all the joy that God has. Search the scriptures for all these amazing truths and believe them and love them with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful season where we remember the gift of your son, Jesus. The amazing message that you came down and dwelt among us. That you did not stay separate from us, but you came down and lived among us. You had compassion on us and you gave your life for us to rescue us, to ransom us and to redeem us. We thank you that in this baby, we see the amazing potential of the life of Jesus, but also the amazing gift that he is. I pray, Lord, for this Christmas season, we would treasure these things truly up, truly in our hearts, that we would love them and that we would find great joy in them. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.